I wanted to start today by making a dust statement. Actually, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to set this right here. And my dust statement is, we live in really interesting time. Would you agree? And by interesting, I mean like really, really frustrating. I mean, do you ever get frustrated just by watching TV, listening to the radio, working with people, having dinners with families? And one of the things that I notice, and, um, and it's not because I'm a pastor, you notice this too, but I notice how um, there is no longer, and this is not new, this is a completely dust statement, that there is no more truth in our world. Now, I believe that there's truth, but what's frustrating about me in our culture is what's right for one, the next person says, well, that's not right for me, and so truth is so subjective, right? I mean, you've had family members, probably friends say to you, oh, you know, that, that, that church thing, I mean, I can tell it's making a difference in your life, but, I'm, but that's just not for me. And there was a day, and some of you are in this demographic, I know my mom and dad, my grandparents were in this demographic, where there was a lot of absolute truths. And it was Jesus or it wasn't Jesus. There was no kind of big gray area. But the world that my kids are being raised in, and if you're 37 and below, the, a lot of the way that our minds work is that, well, you know, there's so many versions of the truth. There's so many ways that you could see things. And we think that it's because we're smart. Oh, it's because we're so wise and we've evolved and our brains are so much better than our grandparents' brains because we have smartphones. Right? And we have internet. What's the internet? I'll never forget what my, my grandmother, I call her Ma Miller. She's my last living grandparent. She went with me to one of the kids. We were in Arkansas visiting. One of the kids got sick. We took to the Minute Clinic kind of place. And she walked up there and she said, Joanne Miller, I saw you this morning. The lady take, checking us in. She said, Joanne Miller, I saw you this morning on Facebook. And my grandma, no line. She goes, where in the world did you see me on Facebook? <laughs> That's what I came from. And here I am. It's... This idea of what is truth is not common. I want to take you way back some 2,000 years ago to a conversation that Pilate had with Jesus. And it's leading up to the crucifixion and um, Jesus finds himself in the governor's house and he's having this conversation with Pilate. Many of you guys know Pilate. You've heard that name. He's got a lot of power. He's sitting in authority in the area that Jesus is in for Rome. And uh, well, let's just read it. It's found in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate went back to the governor's residence where he was living and he summoned Jesus and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, are you saying this on your own initiative or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, am I, uh, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus replied, you say that I am a king? For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the what? Jesus came to testify to the truth. Now watch Pilate's response. Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? See, it's a very Roman way of thinking. We're not so smart and evolved. Over 2,000 years ago, people were saying, what's truth? And truth was standing before him. Give him an answer. And he's like, yeah, what is truth? Now, this week, as I've been thinking through, like, how in the world do you approach the Resurrection Sunday message? Because on this side of the stage, it brings a lot of anxiety and weight because we know that some of you only come on Easter and Christmas and when somebody dies or somebody gets married. I know sometimes those can be confusing, right? Oh, that's my attempt of humor. That's right. 
And so we want to do our best to present the gospel. And as I was thinking this, I'm like, you know, there's kind of two options. I could try this morning to convince you that my truth be your truth. And I could try to convince you to, oh, this is what you have to believe because this is what I believe and what they believe. But I'm actually going to go with option two. And I'm going to use the culture in which we live in favor of the gospel. And I'm going to uh, do a very Jesus thing. And I'm going to present the gospel and the, me- the gospel message that speaks right to you. And so here's how I would like to start. Uh, it starts with a question. There's actually two really key questions that I find in the, in the New Testament. And one is the, the, is the most critical one. And it gets set up as Jesus and his closest disciples are walking into this, uh, this city. And as they walk into the city, um, well, you can see it there in Matthew 6. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, that's not the question. He's setting them up. But he looks at his closest disciples and he says, hey, guys, what are the people saying about me? And man, they give an amazing report. They basically say, Jesus, people think you're awesome. You say, well, how could that be, Matt? They killed the guy. Well, first of all, Jesus gave up his life. Nobody killed Jesus. But secondly, the people loved Jesus. The religious authority, the religious elite hated Jesus. But the people, like you and I, we love Jesus, right? Those people love Jesus. Why? Because he spoke with authority. Like when he came into their cities and into their towns and into their synagogues, he taught with one who had authority. And like they would ask him questions and he would answer as one with authority. And he wasn't giving some philosophical mambo-jambo kind of stuff. He like spoke truth into their life. And when people actually did the things that he said, guess what? Jesus worked. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He actually works. Like you said, well, I tried Jesus. I, I, no, I'm telling you, you haven't tried Jesus. Because if you truly try Jesus, it changes the direction in which you walk. And people were really excited about that. And not only did he speak with authority, the man had power. Oh, did my, our Lord Jesus have power and he would heal and he, he, he just did miraculous things. And people were just drawn to him. So the disciples say, Jesus, man, everybody thinks you're really, really great. And here's the question. Some of you already know this question. He turns to them and he says, okay, enough about everybody else. And he looks them dead in the eye. And the scripture, some 2,000 years later, goes right at you too. And he says this through those scriptures, the holy word of God, back to each and every one of us that are in the room this morning. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Oh man, how smart our King is. How smart our Jesus is that even in a time and a day where there's no absolute truth and what's right for some is not right for others, He says, fine, I don't care what everybody else believes. What do you say about me? Oh, isn't it powerful? And you can't avoid the question. You can't ignore the question. Jesus looks dead at you, right at your heart, and He says, you must answer this question, people. Who am I? Not what your grandma said, not what your daddy said, not what your girlfriend hopes you say. Who are, who am I in your eyes? Many of you guys have um, seen the movie Chronicles of Narnia, read the books, right? Very famous author named C.S. Lewis. Have you ever seen, heard of C.S. Lewis? Raise your hand. This is a picture of the old guy right here. Yeah, most of you have. I don't know if you know this. He actually wrote a lot of adult books too. Like, I don't want to say don't dirty. Like he wrote like adult <laughs> Sorry. I know, the culture in which we live, right? And But uh, he wrote, like, smarter books, a lot of thought-provoking books. And um, he, in, in his, one of his books, it's probably one of his most famous books, it's called Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this concerning this idea of who am I. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him, of course, being Jesus. 
He goes on, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So you're like, Jesus says to us, who do you say that I am? And we go, oh, uh, no. Makes my brain hurt to think about it. C.S. Lewis is a smart dude. says, hey, I hope you out. I'll make it multiple choice. I put there in your bulletin. So is Jesus crazy? Is Jesus evil? Or is Jesus the Lord and God? And here's the thing. The reason some of us in this room are spiritually dizzy and our life and our world seems to be spinning out of control is because we say one thing about who we claim Jesus to be, but yet we live another. And so you like, you don't know which way to turn. Like, oh yeah, I'm here because Jesus resurrected, but I'm going to live like he's still dead. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm here because Jesus said, is resurrected and he has power and he was the Messiah. But that really doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want. And so we go this way. And our lives and our world spins out of control because we think one thing, but yet our lives echo another. And I don't care how old you are, this can be true. Just because you're out of college and got your family down doesn't mean that you're running away from the Lord. Oh, man, you could be running away. Maybe your partying days are done, but that doesn't mean that you're not running from the Lord. You have to decide who is Jesus and once you decide then that should determine the direction in which you walk. Now, the second question. Now, this question's important. It's not as important, but man, is it a close second. And this question here has got our culture, you and your friends and your family, completely jacked up. If there is a theme, I believe this, in the year 2015, it's this question. It's a question of identity. And again, you think, oh, it's something new. Actually, it's not new. Again, it goes way back to the time of Jesus. You can actually find it again in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, in the very first chapter of the, of the disciples' letter, he tells the story of John the Baptist. Now, not to confuse you, you have the disciple John writing about John the Baptist, two different people. And John the Baptist had this title because he was really, really famous too. He had also come with a message of authority preparing the way for Jesus and Jesus had not yet come on the scene and John would meet people down at the river Jordan and people would come to him and they would confess their sins to John and John would put them under the water immersion right he would put them under and he would raise them up and what they were saying to John they would come and say John I have been walking away from Jesus I've been pursuing my own things I come to you that you might baptize me into a new life of following God and so they would take, he would immerse them, and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm, my sins are forgiven and I'm moving forward. Now I'm going to plant a seed. Today, the baptism is open. And some of you are like, oh man, I know, I know right now, because of based on past Resurrection Sunday experiences, God is telling some of you in this room, today is the day that you follow me in baptism. There it is, I'm moving on, are you ready? I'll come back to it later. But because John had this message of authority, and he had this uh, uh, ministry of baptism, he became famous. So famous that the religious leaders came to John and they said, John, um, are you the Messiah? Like, man, you're pretty popular. Are you the one? 
And John said, no, 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 no. I am not the Messiah. He is coming after me. I'm preparing his way. And when he comes, I'm not even going to be worthy to untie or to tie his sandals. And then they asked the second question that I posed to you this morning. And the question is this. Who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? First question, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? The second question is a question of identity. Who are you? Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but you can really figure this out pretty quickly when you meet someone. For a matter of fact, I introduced myself to Aaron this morning as, hey, I'm a pastor of New City Church. You can figure out a lot of people based on the introduction. Some of us, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe because I'm in my line of work and I'm a pastor and you guys trust me with your introduction more than others. But I've had people come up to me and say, hey, my name is Jen and I'm an alcoholic. My name's uh, Jonathan and I'm a single dad. Hey, my name's uh, uh, Joe, I'm divorced and I'm making up names and I'm telling you real stories. Hey, I'll use a real one. Hey, I'm Cindy and I am been clean for a long, long time. Hey, my name's Desi, and I've been clean for a short amount of time. I've even met guys that come up here and said, Hey, my name's Mark, and I'm not clean at all, brother. Not long ago, I had a guy come up to me. This is probably a year and a half ago, and he said, Hey, could, could we meet for coffee or lunch? And I, just, I need some encouragement. I need you to pray for me. I said, Sure. Met him at a local restaurant, and it didn't come uh, very, very quickly in our conversation. There was a theme in this man's life. He kept referring to his uh, incarceration, being in jail, and his current disability as to why he couldn't move on. Like it was the reason that he couldn't um, get the job he wanted. He wouldn't even try because of those two things. And I would try to speak into it, and he'd just keep coming back. Man, you don't understand. I've been in, I've been in uh, prison, and I, and, I, and I have this disability. And I just wanted to grab him and shake him and say, Dude, man, his identity was so set in who he was. Most times our identity is made up on a th- something that created a lot of harm or pain in our life or the successes in our life. Hey, my name's Matt and I'm a banker or I'm a business owner. Like there's the, it's either success or pain, but there's even a new one now. And you guys can probably see where this is going, but there are people I introduce themselves now based on their sexual preference. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're more than a banker. You're more than a, a, a person who likes to have sex in some form. You're more than just one thing. But yet our community and our culture says, no, you are these things. And once we set our feet in them, it is so everything that you hear is based on the identity in which you see yourself. And just as Jesus said, hey, who do you say that I am? The second one is like, who are you? Man, can I just maybe pause to say this? Man, the wonderful cross of Jesus. Man, on that cross, Jesus gave up his life so that you and I can begin to place our identity in Him. On that cross, Jesus reconciled you and I to God the Father so that all those hang-ups and mess-ups in your life, the intentional ones and the unintentional ones, were taken from you and placed on Him. Why in the world are you still carrying it? On that cross of Jesus, man, He began to lay a foundation that you and I have the opportunity to find our identity in Him and not in anything else. I mean, I have to ask this question to you. How would your life look different if you literally began to think like this? I am a, my name is Matt, and I am a follower of Jesus. How would it change how you carried yourself? How would it change your friendships? How would it change your work ethic? How would it change your love? How would it change your forgiveness? How would it change how you process this world by simply saying, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. That is what my identity rests in, and it's going to direct the way in which I live. I am not inviting anyone in this room to a mediocre 
pansy, sissy faith following Jesus. Because he is not that kind of God. I'm asking you to follow the big Jesus, the capital J Jesus. The God with skin on Jesus. The Jesus that went to the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected through the mighty power of God. And when that God says, come follow me, he doesn't mean, hey, go do what you want occasionally, and then come follow me when it's convenient. He looks you you and I in the eye, and he says, come follow me. And that's the call. And anything less than that is not worthy to be his follower. So let me just kind of attack some of the thinking in the room. If you think you can follow Jesus when it's convenient for you, You are being lied to, either by yourself or the enemy of hell. I'm telling you, Jesus says, follow me. He ain't playing. And the reason some of you are so jacked up is because he's not your Lord. And your identity is set in something that was never, it's not supposed to be the cornerstone of your life. I want to share this to you and we're going to do a song together. No one. And I mean no one. This is an absolute truth for me. You're like, oh, here we go. No, listen to this. No one who is in Jesus is ever the same again. No one who is in Jesus is ever the same again. And we're about to do a song called Come As You Are. And it's meant to minister to you, for you to pray, to listen to the words. And after this, we're going to come up and I'm going to read the resurrection story to you. But man... How do you come to Jesus where you currently are? Let's listen to this and let the Lord minister to our hearts together. So this story, I ask you to listen to it, is where you currently are. And that you would allow the words of the gospel to speak to your life. And might you respond the way that Jesus asked you to, amen? Now, I've read this this week in preparation like six times. And every time I've really loved it. Okay? So, I hope you enjoy this too. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of my bones, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the, deci- uh, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. 
go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting, a, posting the guard. Jesus died and was buried on Friday. The next day was the Jewish Sabbath. And a guard was posted to prevent any tampering with the body. Then on the first day of the week, Sunday, those who mourned Jesus came to pay their respects. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and, and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon, Peter, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary! She turned toward him and cried out, Teacher! Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to the brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said, uh, said these things to her. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to, with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we have hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They came to the tomb early this morning but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in scriptures concerning himself. Now as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave things, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned back at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon Peter. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Well, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen? Now, not too long after Jesus ascending back to heaven, Peter, kind of the leader of the twelve, finds himself standing before a lot of people who were present when what went down in Jesus' day. And he gets up and he proclaims the gospel to them. And I want to share just two scriptures with you, just real quick. Luke 24, from in that story. Didn't our hearts burn within us while we were speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? There may be people in this room right now that there is something, as I was reading that story, something kind of began to burn inside you. Maybe your heart kind of skipped a beat a little bit and you could kind of, man, there's something about that story that's doing something in my life. The very same thing happened when Peter proclaimed it way, way, way back. And you know how the people responded? The people responded, Peter, what should we do? You know what Peter said to them? Peter said to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Men and women, if you're here today, and you're like, man, Matt, that, I, I didn't prepare that. I read the, the resurrection story to you. If the power of God's word spoke to your heart, and you're asking, man, what do I do from here? Here's what you do. You repent. You change the direction of your life, and you say, Jesus is Lord. He's not crazy. He's not evil. He is Lord. And I am going to do the same thing that John the Baptist had so many people do, but on a much deeper level. I am going to choose this day to be baptized in that water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that I might become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to let you know it, and I'm not ashamed to let you know it, and I'm not ashamed to let you know it, because Jesus... Jesus is Lord. And oh, can I just tell you, if you ain't where, like, willing to do that thing, you've got to wrestle with the fact, is he Lord or is he not Lord? Because Peter clearly answers, what should you do? Repent and be baptized. We got water. What in the world are you waiting for, church? Now, I'm going to let you stew in it for just a little bit. I asked these guys here to do uh, one of my favorite songs on the radio right now by Third Day called Soul on Fire because that's the prayer. 
right, that your heart, our life, you want to see a church change the world, you want to see the people of God change the Kansas City metro area, let the people have a heart that is burning for the things of the Lord. Let us be a people who our affection is greater for Jesus than for anything else. And when that happens, oh my goodness, watch what God does through us. You think he'll show off? Amen, he will. And so we're going to stand together. And we're going to sing this song. And here's what I need you to do. If you're like, man, I want to get baptized today. Today's my day. Right back here, you see those little glowing tables back there with lamps on them? There's going to be somebody back there that's going to get you ready. We got towels. We got water. You're going to get wet, but it's a good thing, right? Go right back there, and we're going to take care of you, all right? Jesus, I pray that today you would be honored, continue to be honored, be lifted high as we worship this song, as we follow through with repentance and with baptism. For you are the resurrected Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.